free donuts, right? Are you with me? Why should we not have free donuts wherever we go? A crawler in every pot, right? A Claire Tuesday, maybe? You know, we can mix it up, but you are entitled to free donuts. Here's another one. Are you ready? Here's the second point of my platform. Millionaire Mondays. Millionaire Mondays. When I am the executive in charge, I will simply call the Treasury Department. I have access to their inkjet printers. And using a random selection, 4% of the population every Monday will become a millionaire. You'll just get a check. Fantastic, right? Okay, so, you know, this is a strong platform. My encouragement to you in light of this news is to go out there and spread the word. Rodriguez for president. You wait and see. You know, the truth of the matter is with all of the crazy things being bandied out uh, around by presidential candidates, the best that our political solution can solve is the outer man, the outer situations that we find ourselves in, some of which are quite dire. But amidst all of the positioning of the things that they can do, they can't offer an inner peace. There's an inner peace that it doesn't matter what they do, they cannot provide. Should we vote? Absolutely. It's our obligation and responsibility and opportunity as Christians. But Jesus' ministry, as we see in this passage, was much different than simply fixing an outer situation. Jesus did not come in a popularity contest. His goal was not to come to power, to be positioned in such a way that he could solve the political problems of the world. Jesus came to fix the human heart. And it's clear, if we take a look in the mirror, that something is radically wrong inside of us. And so this passage and this sermon, the goal of it is to talk about freedom. Because Jesus' ministry is ultimately a ministry of release. Only true freedom can be found in Christ. And so to follow him is to live the life of release, which Jesus has called us to. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. What does that mean that Jesus has called us to a life of release? Well, this passage here, Luke eleven fourteen, is full of controversy and it's quite interesting that this whole controversy begins with an act of kindness. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. The condition of this man appears that the spiritual and the biological were bound up. He was possessed by a demon, and the characteristics of this demon were manifesting itself in this person. He was mute. He was possessed, and he was oppressed, and he was repressed. You know, I wonder to myself, what would it, like to be, what would it be like to be mute back in that time, you know? I make my living with words. Words are the way that the inner can be expressed to the outer. Imagine that you fell in love with someone, and you wouldn't be able to communicate your heart to them. There's no transcription device. People are illiterate back then. There's no way to express the inner into the outer. What kind of fellowship could this man have? 
Could he share his heart and his opinions with other people? I think he was in the room perhaps, but eventually people just passed over him. He was like part of the furniture, so to speak. He was a non-entity. When we had uh, Maria came to the States, she didn't know a lick of English, and frankly, she couldn't really communicate in Spanish that well either. And even to this day, sometimes when Maria wants to communicate a concept and it doesn't come out and she just can't find the words or the connection, there is this anger that boils up inside of her. I think that's what probably this man was experiencing. And Jesus comes and he heals this man. I wonder what that felt like to be released. In fact, he started speaking. Had he learned to speak before and then been uh, uh, silenced by this demon? Or did God give him that power as well to actually know how to speak? To express love, to be brought back into the community. Jesus releases this man. Now clearly it's a spiritual battle that we have just witnessed. The word demon is actually mentioned four different times. And Jesus casts out the demon. That's actually a military term to cast out someone, to defeat them, to overcome them. And the crowd, as they are watching this, they respond with marvel, as the word says. This word marvel is actually morally neutral. It can mean a couple of things. Like in Revelation, where the people marveled at the beast and they followed him. See, the response actually is a little bit different. The early part of, the, of uh, Luke, they would respond and they would give glory and praise to God. But here they respond with incredulity, even accusation. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeping, seeking a sign from heaven. See, there are these two different camps. They're testing him, looking for indisputable evidence, the people who haven't made up their mind. One wonders what indisputable evidence from heaven might look like compared to this. And so these group of people dare to say it's actually by Beelzebul that he drives out demons. Now, Beelzebul comes from the word, uh, the god of Ekron was named Beelzebul. And it's sort of a play on words of that God that ultimately meant uh, the Lord of the Flies. There you have it, people who are in class. Now you know where to find that title if you're in high school. But it also can mean this, Lord of the Dwelling. It's by this one, the Lord of the Dwelling, that he casts out. In other words, Jesus is a counterfeit. He's not an enemy of Satan. No, rather, he's in league with Satan. And further, he's not even greater than Satan. It's Satan that has given him the power, for Satan is the prince of demons. He's a counterfeit miracle. I find it so ironic that this man, whose life has been changed, just sort of recedes into the background with these people. He's just, I don't know, a statistic or something. Well, how does Jesus respond? First of all, his response is simple. You are idiots. Jesus didn't say that. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he shows the absurdity of their argument. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will not, will, is laid waste. And a divided household fails. You see, people, if Satan is lord of the dwelling, 
If Satan is Lord of this dwelling, why release him? Satan is in the business of possessing, not releasing. Jesus goes on, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. You know, this illustration, actually, they all would have understood because it was used for the one that was occupying them, for the Lord of the dwelling of Israel was Rome. Rome that kept their garrisons stationed all throughout the land, that collected tribute and taxes and told people what they could do and what they couldn't do, who had their foot, if you will, on the neck. They were the possession of Rome. And in order to stop Rome, to free, to get the goods, you had to defeat Rome, for they owned Israel. Jesus is saying the same thing. And so we must ask the question in this illustration, who are the goods? The goods are people. In this case, the mute man. See, Jesus' ministry is one of release. From the beginning, when he speaks in that synagogue and unrolls the scroll to start his ministry and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. Do you hear all of the release? Freedom to those who are in prison. Sight to those who are blind. Release to those who are oppressed. Favor instead of condemnation. Liberation theologists have taken this to mean in the political realm. But it's very clear to even the most elementary person that Jesus is talking about the heart and the person. If people are prisoners, what are they prisoners of? Galatians 3.22, but the scripture itself declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised is being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The world is a prisoner of sin. We're all oppressed by the evil one. And the truth of the matter is, we're the ones that put ourselves in the situation. It's easy to blame Satan for all my problems. But I am the one who walked into the cell. I am the one that chose my leader. And my leader now has me and owns me. See, the problems that we see in the outside of the world come from the inside. If I cannot see my neighbor for who he is, my heart is filled with greed and distrust and not love. If I am oppressed, then the message of Satan has rule in my life which says that you're nothing. God hates you. You're condemned. You're not free. It's the same habits again and again. Your life is dominated by fear. There's no one to watch over you. You're going to lose your job. The poor are never, ever satisfied. The poor in the heart. But Jesus' ministry 
is one of release. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus has come to defeat the strong man. Now is the judgment, 1231 says, now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And when I am lifted up to the earth, I will draw all kinds of people to myself. See, my friends, here's the reality. There's only two kingdoms, and there's only two kings. There's an evil king whose goal and role is to bind us, to separate us, to own us, and ultimately to kill us. He does not care about you and me. We are his possession. But there is another king, a good king, who values us, who comes to heal us, to rejoin us to each other, to move us from a thing to a person to a son or daughter. The truth is, my friends, you will never find peace in this world until you're captured by God. Release is about being placed under a new king. And Jesus doesn't come to condemn us, but to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. The people who are trapped cannot see that. Can you? As I was writing this sermon, I thought of that picture of Edmund, one of the children, the Pevensey children in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. Remember Edmund? He was sort of a, you know, I don't know what you would call him, a pessimist, if you will. Edmund ends up accidentally in the land of Narnia. And lo and behold, he meets the queen. And she is oddly beautiful in an evil sort of way. And the queen draws Edmund into her sled and gives her something to eat, Turkish delights. They're so good and they're so addictive. And just like that, Edmund is a prisoner. He betrays all that is important to him. He gives away Mr. Tumnus. He makes a decision to bring the family, the Pevensey children, to the evil queen. He does things he never thought he would do because he is the possession of one who does not care about him. But there is another king in this story, isn't there? Aslan. There's that scene where the queen enters the camp of Aslan and speaks with Aslan and tells Aslan that Edmund is his. He gave himself to her. You cannot have him. He is mine. And there is only one way to rescue Edmund. And you may remember that horrible scene in which Aslan goes and exchanged himself. You see, with every step to Jerusalem, every miracle from here on out in the book of Luke, the bands become tighter. There is only one way to release. But he is a good king. And Edmund is freed. Have you received the release of the gospel? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you think you were, but you're realizing it. 
and you hear the words, just try harder, just do better. Really, the gospel is all about one question. Do you want to be rescued? I got this. You know, a cell can even become comfortable if you get used to it. But this day, the scriptures tell us, Christ has come to release us into a new kingdom, a new identity. So if you have been released, rest in his release. It doesn't matter what Satan says. It's not true. I am free. I am loved. I don't have to try. I don't have to listen and obey. Rest in the release of the gospel. Rest in the dignity that God has given you. When the world says that you are nothing, rest in the dignity that is given to you by one who would give his life, that you might have life. Only true freedom can be found in Jesus Christ. So live a life of release. Well, this brings me to my second point. If Jesus calls us to a life of release, Jesus also frees us to live a life of recognizing and relinquishing. Recognizing his role our role, and his rule in our life. What does that mean? Notice Jesus says right after that in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, Jesus turns the table on these people. He doesn't simply deflect and explain. He says, listen up. If you're not with me, you're against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, Jesus not only frees me from Satan's rule, he frees me from my second worst enemy, which is me. Christ has resurrected my inner being, my spirit. But in my personality, my mind, my will and emotions, there's still a fallenness, a fallen that will not go away until that last day. And even though I am free, my fallen nature wants to be king. It's all about me. I'm the center. It's easy to evaluate that life that way, isn't it? You know, what if you could be king for a day? What if that was my presidential platform? Everybody gets to be king for a day. What if you could have unlimited power, all the money and possessions you ever wanted, and all of the adulation of the crowd and your friends. You know what you would discover by the end of the day? You would discover that you were miserable because you were not meant to be the center of your life. Christ has freed you as Savior So you might have a king because we not only need a savior, we need a king. Someone to live for. Someone to die for. Jesus comes to be king. Listen in Luke 11, 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, 
It passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will go back to the house from where I came. And it's nice and in order. And he brings seven spirits with him. And that person is ultimately worse than the first. See, here's the problem. The room was unoccupied for a while. But there was no new king. See, that person in this instance wanted release, but they wanted no regent. True release can only happen, my friends, when we're captured by another. And so we are freed to recognize the rule of another in our life. It's interesting, a word that's used often by the followers of Christ in the New Testament. Doulos is the Greek. Bondservant is the English. What's a bondservant? Different than a slave. Here's the Exodus explanation. If the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he will be his servant for life. Look at just about every New Testament letter, and this is what you will hear. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, in this letter to the Philippians. James, a doulos of Christ. It's ironic that the highest dignity that we can find in the Bible is being a servant. Jesus gives us the freedom of his rule in our life and calls us to turn everything over to him. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who entrusted him with his talents and said, go, make, do something with them. See, everything that we have is ultimately meant for him. The world says, gather as much possessions and things as you can. But here's the truth of the matter. Ultimately, you do not own things. They own you. But they can't own you if you don't own them. They're his given into your safekeeping. Think of all the talents that you've been given. Maybe you have great musical ability. Maybe God has given this to you. You can do two things with it. You can do it to try to create glory for you and honor and adulation. Or you can experience the freedom of giving it to the Lord and using it for his rule. You know, what about beauty? Most people envy a beautiful woman. I know that myself. How do I know that? Well, I live with one. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at many of the Hollywood beauties, they live miserable lives. Why is that? Because deep in their heart of hearts, they know that one day the beauty is going to fade. And they always wonder, does that person really like me because of how I look or because of who I am? But you see, it can't own you if you don't own it. The freedom Jesus Christ gives us is to live for a new king. And so give to him all that you have in the way that you live, in the way that you love. Jesus gives us freedom to recognize his rule, and he also gives us freedom to recognize our role. See, Jesus gives us freedom to live for a new kingdom. Whoever does not gather with me, 
says Jesus, scatters. The kingdom is continuing to advance. Even to this day, God is taking ground in the hearts of people. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So go and make disciples. Which kingdom are we building in our life? The one that ultimately will enslave us. Are we part of a greater kingdom? The world says, live a happy and healthy life. Make sure your kids are safe. Have good friends. Live long and die in your sleep. But Jesus gives us a bigger vision. It's one worth giving your life away to. It's a new kingdom. We're free to recognize his role, his rule, and our role in helping to establish it. Jesus gives us the freedom of the mission of bringing freedom to others. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who give, bring the good news. See, we're called to bring the dead to life. To build the kingdom of another. C.S. Lewis said, listen, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal whores or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of the kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outside taken each other seriously. If the gospel is true, my friends, it means everything. If I, as a Christian, am a Christian, I have been brought from death to life and I am immortal. A million years from now, I will be because of him. It's an awesome privilege and responsibility. And so I'm telling you that you are called to so much more than a mundane world building a mundane kingdom in which you are in the center of it, which only brings misery. So which kingdom is your magnificent obsession? You have a new king. So give it all up to him. Your throne, my life, my talents, my music, it's yours. My ability to make money, it's yours. The possession that I have, you are in charge. One king, one kingdom. Young people, is it worth giving your life to this kingdom? Absolutely. Is it worth moving to a country, living a life of relative obscurity, and dying for it? 
Absolutely. Is it worth for you who are here in whatever world God has called you to give all that you have for him? Jesus has released us. And so live this life for a greater king, a greater kingdom. My final point, Jesus calls us to a life of responding in obedience. At the end of this thing, I love this. And he said these things after he had said them. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know, I love receiving compliments at the end of a sermon as much as the next guy. But if it doesn't make a difference in your life, what difference does it make? See, the people are responding to Jesus saying, you are the guy. And Jesus said, I came that you might be the guy. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When you decide to respond in obedience to God's word, moment by moment, that's when all of this freedom is experienced moment by moment in your life. You may say, I have no idea what to do with what it is that you're saying. You have enough idea to know. What is God calling you to do and be? The goal of this church is to train and teach you in God's word so that you might experience in fullness the freedom that God has given to you. Get together with people this week. Talk about this sermon. Come to adult ed. Learn more about your faith. Jesus calls us to a life of responding in obedience. We're free to obey a new king who has our good in mind. Well, to sum it all up, only true freedom can be found in Jesus Christ. You'll only truly be free when you're captured by a new master. So live a life of release. That's why he came. Live a life of recognizing that you have a new king and it's not you. Of giving all for a new kingdom. Of responding to his care and his word as he guides us. For he has good things planned for us. Things not to hurt us. And his rule is not burdensome. Come to me, says the good king, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Your friends and your colleagues in this world might have everything, but the one thing they don't have without Christ is release. As you live a released life, as you enjoy the good king, as you give all to him, the world cannot help but sit up and take notice that surely there is a God among us. Praise God for the release given to us on the cross and secured in the resurrection. Let's pray.
God, how do we even respond to such a gift? The one thing that we can give is our heart, our will, and our mind. And so we acknowledge your release. Lord, give us the courage to bask in it, to live for a you, our king, to give all that your kingdom might advance in the hearts of people, and to show our fidelity to you, moment by moment, responding in obedience to the smallest thing that you call us to do and be. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.